Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is SECQB on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of SEC QB, brought to you by betonline.ag through the Believe Podcast Network. Got a lot to, to jump into today and a great interview. We had Shane Matthews, former University of Florida quarterback, joining us to, to talk through this hopeful, this, this upcoming matchup that we think is going to happen between LSU and Florida. But first, the, the wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be part of the action with Bet Online. And I hope, you know, for your sake, if you're taking our advice on, on picks from last week, that um, our <laughs> picks this next week will improve. But from game spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Well, Josh, I wanted to open up this week with something that I, I thought about all weekend after, after watching you know, what we saw from, um, from week three in in the SEC. And I think we are seeing the fruits of two things. The, the, the passing attack that we saw from LSU and what Ed Orgeron and that team did last year, there is an emphasis on getting the ball down the field in the passing game. And the second thing, these rule changes that we have seen for so long in college football to make the game safer, we're seeing their impact. When you get games like a 63-48 Alabama and Ole Miss, there is a, a change happening in college football, and it is obvious to me that it, it has made its way to the SEC. Yeah, you could see when teams are putting up 600 yards passing like Costello did at Mississippi State against LSU the first week of the season, and then you see Alabama throwing up 700 total yards. And last week, uh, Matt Corral and that Ole Miss offense threw up 60, uh, 647 against uh, Alabama in total offensive yardage. I mean, the production is just at a torrid pace offensively, and if you look at the QBRs, the quarterback ratings of these SEC quarterbacks, I've never seen them all that high. I'm talking about like 10 of them uh, that are 150, 170, 190, 200, 210, 220. I mean, Mac Jones and what he's doing at Alabama and Matt Corral at Ole Miss, what they did last week, I think it was the most uh, yards ever in a, in a game offensively in, in the conference. I mean, you said it right. I mean, and we talked about it earlier, just putting that those defenses in in uh, in a bind in space, man, allows for all these all these fast athletic kids that are playing on these uh, on these teams with these open offenses to really make a, a name for themselves. And uh, we saw it last year with Joe Burrow, 60 touchdowns. I remember it wasn't too long ago where 30 touchdowns in a college season was a ton. And now when you talk about 60 in a college season, it's just the offenses are so dynamic now and the coaching is 
is uh, they're trusting these players to throw the ball downfield and allowing them to do so. That wasn't the case 20 years ago for these quarterbacks. Yeah, this was a record for Alabama for most points given up in a game at 48 in a game that they still won. And you'll hear later Shane Matthews touches on this, but Saban is known and he is a defensive guy and, and they're giving up 600 plus yards and 48 points. And that's just the, the world that we live in. You look over at, at LSU and want to obviously get your thoughts on, on their loss at Missouri, but they gave up almost 600 yards on their own. And I know we've talked about their issues with having to replace a ton of production, but to me, this is more, they've got to simplify their scheme. They've got dudes in the wrong spots. I went back and watched that tape. They've got mm -hmm. dudes in the wrong spots. They've got guys that are confused multiple times. A big play happens, big play down the field or a touchdown and guys are turning back, pointing at each other. They, they just feel lost on defense right now. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy to watch because I've watched LSU since I was a little kid and of course, followed the SEC and covered it for so many years and and uh, played in the league where it was hard to get a first down, you know, and, and now with these open offenses, I mean, we made Connor, uh, the quarterback at Missouri, look like John Elway. I mean, he threw for 406 yards, four touchdowns uh, in the game, and he, had, he hadn't even thrown a touchdown in the first two games. So there's something going on, uh, especially with that secondary, but I don't think we're getting a good pass rush either, and we did lose a lot of guys, there's no doubt about it, but we, we recruit well, so there's um, you really, there's no excuse for the LSU defense to play uh, defense like this. We have a new defensive coordinator, uh, Pellini, who was, of course, at LSU back in the day as a defensive coordinator 10, 12 years ago, went to Nebraska and has come back but uh, as a head coach. But, um, you know, maybe maybe he, the, the, this wide-open spread offense has passed him up a little bit and he's got to play a little catch-up. And then he's got to get all those youngsters out there on the field our best our best player is Derek Stingley the corner and he's just a, a true sophomore so I mean we've got tons and tons of, of, of freshmen out there trying to play but we're getting scorched right now and have got to find a way to stop some of these passing offenses because it's going to be a long season it is and I think another thing to LSU's credit and, and to everybody else's credit I mean these defenses are getting beat up right now obviously and, and and giving up a lot of points giving up a lot of yards and then during the week these fan bases are upset I think there is a lot to be said about how odd this year has been in terms of preparation, lack of spring ball. I don't think people realize how important spring ball is to your young guys. Getting those, I mean, that's as close to live fire as, as those kids are going to see until they get to Saturdays in the fall. And if you miss out on that, or even if you only get a handful of practices, I think that's a big deal. I think having bizarre training during the summer or no training at all is a big deal. And then we touch on, the rule changes and how difficult it is to remain violent as a, as a pass rusher and as a DB at the point of contact, there's just a lot working against defenses right now. And we saw it in, in another matchup, Florida and A&M, which was a very entertaining game. I mean, I watched that one start mm -hmm. to finish live and that was the Kellen Mond performance that I think Aggies have been waiting on. That was in my mm -hmm. mind, that's the best game he's played since he's been there. I agree. I mean, a four-year starter uh, broke the uh, school record uh, all-time leader now with, in passing yardage. I mean, this is what we've been looking for in him for a long time. I think the last year or so uh, for him to win these types of games, right? I mean, as a four-year starter, you got to feel really comfortable 
uh, with now Jimbo Fisher being there for several years and, and working alongside him and understanding what he's got to get done. And the no turnovers thing is huge. He didn't turn the ball over uh, against Florida. So that gave him a chance, you know, on every possession to do something with the football. And, uh, you know, there's several quarterbacks in our conference that, uh, you know, it seems like every now and then they turn the ball over when they shouldn't, and it really hurts. Uh, it hurts them. I remember Felipe Franks, who's at, at Arkansas now, when he was at Florida starting, he turned the ball over too much, and and you just can't win football games that way. Kellen Mond has done that in several big games. He didn't do it in this one, and it was a big, big game for him, a huge win for him, a huge win for Fisher and their their whole organization there at the university, man. That that was as, as good – the timing couldn't be better for them to have a big win like that. Yeah, they needed it. I mean, because you look at we, – we talked about if they go to one and two, all of a sudden this season's gone kind of sideways, and it's going to be really difficult to get back in the mix in the West. They're still going to need some help, obviously, with, with Bama. But if you look across the rest of the West, Auburn doesn't look that great right now, and LSU's obviously having their struggles. I think there's the potential with some help that A&M could still be there at the end. I think, you know, we just touched on on Auburn. That finish was wild, but I think – you've got to give a lot of credit to, to Sam Pittman and his staff, uh, what they're doing in such a short, in a, in a bizarre year. And in this strange season to have them playing the way they're playing, obviously played tough against Georgia, had the win against Mississippi state. And then this week they were down 17 zero and fought their way back into it. And it, it, they should have won this game. I mean, that yeah. spike went backwards. Not only was it botched, that was, and this has been sort of beaten to death by the national media all week, but, they should have won that game. I agree. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that I was talking about earlier is the is the no turnovers. They didn't turn over the ball at all uh, last week. Gave them a real opportunity. Felipe Franks threw four touchdowns. It gives them a real chance week in, week out. Now, he's an upperclassman, too, and he knows how to try to handle some of these situations. Uh, what a game that was. Nick's, Nick's is a competitive kid, the quarterback at Auburn. He plays so hard. I think he – he, he threw for less than 200 yards, but he didn't turn the ball over. He gave him a chance. He had a big touchdown run in that game. That was a fun one. The field goal at the end was seven seconds left on the clock. Auburn wins the ball game. And I thought Auburn was going to win, but Arkansas is playing lights out. I mean, they're playing a lot better than I thought they would early on in the season. So I, I'm enjoying some of these games that I normally don't enjoy watching Arkansas play. I've enjoyed some of their early games, and I can't wait to watch them again this week. Yeah, when I watch Arkansas right now, it, they look like they belong again. I mean, there was a stretch there over the last couple of years where they not only were they getting beat, they looked like one of the non-conference teams that you bring in in November, <laughs> right, with, with, you know, like the Citadel or something. Yep. You need a break in the schedule. Yep. I mean, they started to turn into sometimes what Vanderbilt can be every now and then, and that's not what Arkansas is known for. So I think, again, Sam Pittman and his staff – I think there's there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Razorbacks fan moving forward. Another one, this this game was bizarre. I watched this one. I had to go back and watch the tape and figure out what the heck is going on. But Mississippi State, they throw the ball 70 times <laughs> and and score two points, which which they scored on a snap over the head of Kentucky's punter. So really, they, their offense scored zero points. I think Kentucky, they needed that win badly to get to get to one and two, and they've been competitive, really should have beat Ole Miss as well. But after the game, Leach is talk, is already making comments about how they need to clear some guys out, and they've got to get the guys that are bought in. And it already feels like this season they, they need to right the ships, the pirate ship, so to speak, basically immediately. 
I mean, the highs and lows of Leach's first three games is is already just crazy. When you look at them beating LSU uh, to start the season off and throwing for a record number of yards to, you know, not getting the ball in the end zone last week and throwing six interceptions. Costello uh, had four of them, and I think the kid's name's Rogers uh, through two. Uh, of course, no touchdowns. They were held to 157 yards of total offense. Kentucky didn't, uh, didn't do a ton either. Um, you know, on offense, I think their quarterback completed eight balls. It was just a boring offensive game. But uh, at the end of the day, Kentucky played a lot better on defense and Mississippi State turned the ball over. But Leach cannot be happy with the way that that went because he's such an offensive mind and pro offensive production is all he thinks about 365, you know. So uh, 365 days of the year, he thinks about offense and how, how to get guys open. And for them not to put any points on the board against Kentucky, I could see it if it's against Bama or Georgia, but Kentucky, um, you know, then you got real issues. Yeah, it looked like Kentucky did a good job again, like Arkansas did the week before, of just keeping everything in front of them. They said, look, you're going to have to beat us straight down the field on, you know, five to eight yard completions and seven on seven, this thing, right? Where you're not getting behind us and we're not going to allow for really any home runs. And they didn't bring a ton of pressure. They brought a little bit, but they were able to get, Kentucky was able to get a decent amount of pressure with four. And then KJ Costello has got to take care of the ball. He got, he's getting loose with it where he's mm -hmm. trying it looked a little bit like those old Texas tech offenses where they had guys just flinging it up into double and triple coverage sometimes because they're throwing it 75 times a game. But it'll be interesting to see how defenses continue to, to play the air raid and, and, and the pirate going through the rest of this year. Last game from, from this past weekend that we can, we'll can we touch on quickly, but South Carolina over a, a 41 to seven over Vandy. Vandy only had, I think like 56 scholarship guys available. They've been hit by, by COVID right now and they've had some opt-outs mm -hmm. as well. I, unfortunately, just watching Vanderbilt playing a true freshman quarterback right now, I think they're going to be overmatched this whole season. I, I After three weeks, I'm not sure I, I see a win for them on this schedule. Not when they've got to play, you know, a conference game every week for 10 weeks. Um, right. You know, South Carolina ran the football well. Kevin Harris, two touchdowns, 171 yards rushing. Um, you know, played a complete game. But like like you said, Vandy's not bringing a ton to the table on offense or defensively. I, I watched the entire game against LSU two weeks ago, and LSU just really torched them in every way on offense. So, you know, South Carolina was able to take advantage of, of you know, lesser athletes on the other side of the ball. And I, I hate to say that because Vandy's been in this league a while. They've got to find a way to get some big – strong kids in there at some point they're going to keep continue to take these losses week in week out in the conference it's just very tough for them yeah well again this was a very entertaining I mean from top to bottom these games were a lot of them were competitive and they were they were fun to watch I'm realizing now that we I glossed over one that we have got to talk about the best defensive performance of the week Georgia mm -hmm. Georgia and Tennessee <laughs> Georgia absolutely shuts down Garantano in the second half. So sorry, any Bulldogs fans, if you thought we were about to just skip skip right over the only team that appeared to play defense all week. But uh, that first half, it's a back and forth. Garantano makes a couple nice throws, throws a nice fade for a touchdown. And then in the second half, it was like they just shut it all down. I think what they're doing, what Georgia is doing on defense in terms of pressure, they have some of the most interesting looks in terms of where they're bringing guys from the corner position, walking safeties <laughs> down, rolling coverage at the last second. They're doing a ton right now. And I love watching them play defense because you can tell that they present a lot of challenges to the quarterback. 
they do when they want to get after the football they do man their their defensive front is good their linebacker group is good their secondary is good i mean defense forced uh three turnovers in the second half uh you know georgia's first team in 10 years to win two games uh by trailing uh, at half you know trail win two games by 20 points after trailing at half so i mean they're a team that they made adjustments at that locker room i can promise you that they were going down the score to try to try to even things up uh, right before the half, and they didn't get in. Uh, fourth and goal, they they fell short. I guarantee you they went in the locker room, and Kirby Smart was pretty upset with the way they played in the first half, and they no came doubt. out like, like scalded dogs, man, and they were playing awesome. So it was fun to watch them get after Tennessee a little bit. I'm not a Tennessee fan. I'm not a Georgia fan, but that defense, just to see some good defense in the conference was awesome, and they overwhelmed Garantano in the second half. Yeah, well, I tell you, I'm not necessarily a Georgia or Tennessee fan, but I, I have become a Stetson Bennett fan. Um, he it's is fun to watch. I just enjoy his story because more often than not at the programs like a Georgia, you're used to the, the five stars, right? You're used to the guys that we've known since they were 16, 17 as recruits. They come through, have big careers, and then go on to the NFL. That's sort of the model. And he's not that. He was a walk-on, turned Juco, back to Georgia, turned starter that – He's not going to go out and, and throw for 500 yards and put the team on his back. I mean, he's not Joe Burrow. He's not going to do some of the things that the, these other quarterbacks in the league are capable of. But he knows that, and he, he stays within the system. He is not going to get you beat. And with that defense, I promise you, they're telling him each week, get it to our playmakers, do what your coach to do, and don't. he doesn't need to be a hero. And he's not, do, he's not playing like that, which is fantastic. As long as he's doing that, they're going to be in mm-hmm. every game that they play. So – I've enjoyed watching Stetson Bennett so far this season. Well, that covers our, our recap of the first part of the season. And we mentioned this at the at the opening, but really excited to have our, our first guest on of the season. Shane Matthews was a, a starter at the University of Florida, Florida, was actually Spurrier's first starter and SEC champion. So right now we welcome on Shane Matthews. Shane, we appreciate you joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing well, guys. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, Shane, we'll jump right into it. I think last week was obviously, you know, we both, I think Josh and I both picked Florida to win that game and to cover. Uh, What were your, I mean, just quick reactions to to that loss at A&M? Well, I actually said we'd win the game, but it'd be a very, very close game. Um, You know, it's, we we probably should have won the game, but I, we didn't. We had a couple turnovers. A&M had turnovers. I thought, uh, Kellamon may have played his best game of his career, made unbelievable throws. They made great catches uh, with pretty good coverage, um, but we just didn't make enough plays. And, and give Texas A&M credit, I think it was a huge win for them, especially uh, in Jimbo's third year. He hadn't really had that signature-type win over a top-10 team, and, and he got it last Saturday. Well, Mullen's doing a, a great job offensively. We always, you know, we've known he's a – one of the best game day play callers, in, in my opinion, uh, in college football. I think he's he, he's great with his quarterbacks. He always advances them uh, further than maybe they, they even should be advanced in terms of just their play. I mean, Kyle Trask is playing out of his mind in terms of just pure stats. Uh, they didn't punt until late in the third quarter. They had just – I think the first three drives were all over 75, you know, 75-yard drives, three in a row, and then they had a 60-yard drive. I mean – they did not do anything negatively on offense, especially in the first half. And, and, you know, what, what makes, you know, 
Dan, Coach Dan, uh, so obviously effective uh, as a play caller and as a as a coordinator and as a coach. Well, he's he's he has a great offensive mind, as you mentioned. Um, you know, he he does a great job scheming uh, with his concepts and trying to get mismatches and attack the weakness of a defense. And that's what a good coordinator does. A guy call on plays. You know, he takes what you do well, and we go do it. You know, if you look last year, we could not run the football at all. And, of course, our fans were concerned about our yards per game rushing. Here we are winning games, and they're complaining about something. Uh, but a play caller's job is to call plays uh, that are going to try to be successful. And we did that last year. With, we threw it a bunch. We're doing it this year. We're running the ball a little bit better. But, um, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, it's almost like it's easy to call plays nowadays. Uh, no matter where you're coaching, nobody plays defense anymore. <laughs> Unless you're yeah, Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's unbelievable. I think you, you guys both touched on him a little bit, but I wanted to get your thoughts on Kyle Trask. He's actually a, a guy that's from Texas where I'm based. And we actually, the, the guy that trained me through my playing career trains him as well and thinks really highly of him and has a ton to say about him. I was surprised to see him in, in these first few weeks take the steps that he has. He's looked fantastic. His decision-making has been pretty sound. And it sounds like also Josh touched on this last week, but there are some guys behind him at the quarterback position that they think Florida fans think because he could, they may could step in and be better than Trask. What, what are your thoughts on him so far this season? Well, Kyle's come a long ways for a guy that, you know, was a backup in high school. I think everybody knows his story uh, has played extremely well. Um, you know, he lost a little bit of weight. He's still 240. Uh, he's moving in the pocket a little bit better, protecting the football. You know, at times he, he gets away with throwing off his back foot, leaning away, falling away, I should say. Um, but, but a really good football player, very smart, understands what Dan Mullen wants, you know, where the ball should go. Uh, you know, we have Emory Jones and a kid, a freshman, Anthony Richardson. They're both very talented, but they're, they're, they have a long ways to go. Emory's a really good runner. Um, so time will tell, but, but this is Trask's team and he's played at a very high level. And what's crazy guys is he's played at such a high level, but he's about the fifth rated quarterback in the conference. It's crazy. I mean, I mean when, you, when you, when you, when you, when you look at Mac Jones, you look at Matt Corral, uh, some of these other guys that the stats that they're putting up, it is ridiculous uh, at the quarterback play right now. One of the, one of the good things that, Trask has had I get it at, at his disposal is the tight end pits and everybody in the country's talking about him I've seen him on some Heisman ballots now it's like seven touchdowns in three games he looks like an absolute beast out there a horse at that position I know Tebow when he was there he had great tight ends with uh, Hernandez in that group but just to have that quality of a player that you can go to on some third down stuff and, and can spread the field really from the inside out. It's got to be a, a great advantage for, for Trask. Well, yeah, Pitts is a, a freak of nature. 6'6", 250, runs about a 4'5", uh, has great body control, got great ball skills. Um, you know, Trask, you know, you, you always say quarterbacks get away with some throws here and there, and it's true, but he trusts Kyle Pitts, and he's, he's put a couple of them up into t double and triple coverage that it's one of those, oh, don't throw it. Oh, good throw, good throw. You know, one of those kind of right. deals because Pitts comes down with it. Uh, so he trusts him. But, you, you know, if the LSU game is played, uh, you're going to see two guys at the so-called tight end position that are freaks of nature. Um, that kid LSU has number two. I can't think of his name, but he's 6'6", six, six, about 240 as well. 
yes, they're both just freakish athletes. Yep. No, number one, you know, Eric Gilbert, number two for LSU, the freshman tight end, number one athlete in the country recruited last year out of Georgia. We were lucky to get him at LSU. And, you know, it's it to have a tight end, even at the, you know, at the highest level in professional football and the NFL level, to have a guy like Kelsey or Kittles or Gronk and in that position, a guy that can stretch the field and also can run block. And you said you mentioned his his size. I mean, that's uh you know, he looks like a, a man among boys out there. And I, I'm thinking that Gilbert's going to be that, you know, kind of cutting the same mold, can get up the yard fast and can can really put a pressure on some of the outside linebackers and defenses in the league. And that's one of the things we're not seeing is a lot of defense in the league. You, you said it a little earlier, you know, back in the day when you played uh, for Spurrier, uh, and maybe I'll get a Spurrier story here in a second, but you guys were the only ones really running – uh, a fun offense, the fun and gun and what Spurrier was doing with you guys. And, and now it's like, you know, half the league is running the spread RPO stuff. And some of these guys are just putting up uh, extraordinary numbers at the quarterback position. You mentioned Mac Jones and, and Corral. That game was amazing last week. But what do you think about these offenses in the league and, and where they're going and, and I guess and why the defenses are so behind? Well, I think the game has changed from the standpoint. I think with kids playing seven-on-seven, they understand the passing game a lot better. Um, I also believe the rule changes. You know, guys are – when you rush the passer now and you just barely put your hand on the quarterback, it's a penalty. You know, when you're playing defensive back, you can't get as physical with those uh, receivers as you used to in bump coverage. You know, balls thrown across the middle – uh, safeties are scared to go make a tackle because they're going to get biggest thing is the RPO, three yards minimum. And, and, you know, three yards turns into five yards. That is a stress on linebackers and safeties with their, their run keys. When they see a guard pull, they're thinking run, and then the quarterback pulls it and throws the ball on a slant behind their ears. So it's mm-hmm. just extremely, it's extremely hard to play, um, you know, that position these days. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And I don't think anybody's going to get any better, honestly. I really don't. I do think Georgia plays very good defense. I think Clemson plays very good defense. But um, that's about it. And we're going to see how good Georgia's defense is this year when they – this week when they face Alabama. Yep. Shane, one of, the, one of the things Josh and I have talked about is sort of the Burrow effect, and, and a lot has been made of what Joe Burrow and that LSU offense did last year, the impact that has. And I think some of the hires that we've seen, not only at the head coaching position, but by the coordinators as well, has made it clear that the SEC is, is taking steps to make sure that they're on par with the best offenses in college football because they feel like they've got a score to keep up. Do you feel like Joe Burrow and that offense – sort of sped up the process and and what was I guess the Joe Burrow and the Ed Orgeron effect from last year what kind of impact do you think that's having on the SEC right now I think it's definitely having an effect I think it, it's very similar to what coach Spurrier did in 1990 when he came in and changed the way SEC football was played and we threw it all over the place uh, I think what they did with Joe Burrow last year you know we, when you get an elite player at that quarterback position with great skill guys around him you can really uh mm-hmm put focus on hurting a defense. And I think a lot of, a lot of schools are trying to do that now. I think it all, it all starts with your trigger, man. You got to have the right guy at the quarterback position, but, but getting the ball in, in, in space is the key. 
You know, I don't care how great athletes are on defense. If you give it to a great athlete who has the ball and knows what he's going to do when he has the ball in his hand, it's hard to tackle. And it's just, uh, it is just so hard to play defense these days. I think you're just going to keep seeing these high powered offenses around the country. Yeah. I think, you know, putting those linebackers, you mentioned it into a bind when you start talking RPO and, and guys that can get outside and run a little bit too at the quarterback position and, you know, or athletes. And they're coming up in this offense too, because everybody at the high school level is running it. So they play early and, and they play, and they play well early, you know, and, and that's something that we didn't see, uh, you know, 20 years ago, it seemed like there were only upperclassmen in the conference that got an opportunity to play. Now you see a lot of freshmen and, and that's uh you know, I guess that's a, a breath of fresh air, but uh, playing in space with all those athletes, Florida has them, you know, of course, Clemson has them in the ACC, Alabama's running the spread now. And I guess when Saban and, and the best teams in the country, Ohio state with Ryan day are running the spread, of course, Urban Meyer before that at Florida and at Ohio State, then everybody knows that they're going to have to do that to beat them. They're going to have to score points. So that's why we're seeing that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I just think it's extremely difficult. Uh, as I said, when you spread the field from sideline to sideline, you have RPOs where linemen are allowed downfield uh, that messes with the, the key read, the reads for the linebackers and safeties, and you're able to throw the ball with linemen downfield. It's just hard to play defense. And I mean, think about it. People, Nick Saban, people would argue is the greatest college football coach of all time. He's a defensive guy. And his defense with the best players in the country, because Alabama has either Alabama or Clemson have the number one recruiting class every year, mm -hmm. they are dead last in the country in forcing three and outs. So that should show you how hard it is to play defense now. Yeah. Um, one other question I wanted to ask you too is, you know, in practice, and y'all did this at Florida because y'all were number one in the country year in, year out when you were there. And, you know, to get the chance to practice against the best defense or offense, depending on what side of the ball you are, every day in practice gives you a real, uh, I guess, a real experience level, too, that is that's unmatched. So I tell people about this all the time. It's like Alabama gets to practice. That defense has to practice against that offense, and they have so many weapons that – they're, they they probably feel vulnerable after going through a practice at Alabama and having to face that offense with Najee and all those receivers. And so when they get out there on the field, it's probably easier even than what they have to deal with in practice every day. And that just elevates them as a whole, both offensively and defense. I think their defense needs to get a lot better. But Saban's never been able to really cover the RPO and a, and a quarterback that can hurt you in, in a couple of different ways. But who has? I mean, Pete Carroll had problems with that at, at USC with Texas and Vince Young. So everybody has problems with it. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think it comes down to, you know, it's really against the rules how people are playing offense now than back when we played. You know, Lyman could not be downfield. And, mm -hmm. you know, because, as I mean, when you play Pop Warner football and you're coaching little kids – you know, if you're going to run block, you fire off and the linemen are going forward, okay? So it's a run play. And if they're backing up, it's a pass play. Well, now the linemen can fire off three or four yards downfield and the mm -hmm. ball's still being thrown downfield. So it's just – it really isn't fair. Yeah, Shane, you you touched on this a minute ago, but we're actually opening up our the podcast with this. We, these listeners will have already heard us say this, but – I'm a firm believer that the biggest reason for all of this is rule changes, like you mentioned. And, and the biggest piece 
Josh, you touched on not the quarterbacks. A lot of them are mobile now. I was certainly mobile when, when I was playing. There was still a threat of violence on the quarterback. And I think you're seeing less and less of that right now. And they're doing such a good job of protecting quarterbacks and trying to keep the game safe, even at the college level, that you're just seeing kids take off. And it is it is harder for DBs to cover and make that violent hit, that impact right when a receiver touches the ball. And the more they make the game, quote unquote, safe, the more points are going to be scored. It's just it does not go in favor of the defense to make the game more safe. It, it never has and it never will. But uh, Shane, just one final thought before we close out. And again, we appreciate you coming on with us. Assuming we get this game this weekend, I know there's a, a lot up in the air right now with, with Florida's COVID cases right now. Wanted to sort of put you on the hot seat and get your take. And then Josh also get your take on, on this game coming up this weekend and what you expect. Well, let's just say they're going to play the game. Everybody's playing because now there's talk. Miles Brennan's banged up, may not play. And I think he's playing really well since the basically the first half against Mississippi State. It's going to be a shootout. Neither team can play defense. Uh, you know, we've played – I said going in, in August, uh, watching a couple of scrimmages, the weakness of this Florida team back in August was going to be the defensive line. Not very big, just not very good. And it's come true. You know, people the, – the average Joe thinks our secondary is not very good. I think our secondary is fine because – the other team, our fans have a problem tipping the hat to the other team when it's a good play call or it's a good throw and catch. You know, you can still have great coverage, but you can have better offense sometimes. Uh, and I thought AM made some unbelievable throws and catches against us. When I watch LSU play, they play so much man coverage, dudes are getting picked, guys are running wide open. I don't know if they need to play more zone or what, mm -hmm. but I think it's going to be a shootout. Um, if I'm LSU, I know – I don't know if y'all are running the ball great this year, but I would try to come out, and you're probably going to have some success running the football. But it could be a, you know, 45-41 type game if it's played. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree. I think if Brennan plays, this could be a real high-scoring affair, uh, you know, from both teams. I think if he doesn't play, we have to play a freshman. It's going to be really, really tough on LSU to, to move the football on, on Florida – uh, you know, just because he won't have much experience throwing the football and, and throwing guys open. I, Trask has done a wonderful job this year, 72% completion percentage. The O-line's been wonderful. Uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're moving the chains, man, and, and we're not on third down. I think we were 0-10 last week, 9 for 39, which is just horrendous uh, through three games and last in the conference, I think, in third down winning percentage. But, you know, I think Florida being at home, this really helps them. We have a good offense, but if Brennan doesn't play, we're really going to struggle. And I think Trask has a ton of weapons uh, for himself and experience. And I think they, they played LSU great last year. I was at that game 42 to 28 LSU won, but Trask had a chance there late in the game and ended up uh, Stingley made an unbelievable play in, in our end zone. Uh, when we were up seven and went down and scored again to win by 14. But that game was close. Well, Shane, we appreciate it again. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, man, hopefully we hopefully we get this game. If it doesn't happen now, hopefully we get it. I think it's the December 12th weekend. They're earmarking for a lot of these, these games that are pushed back. But, anyway, Shane, again, appreciate you coming on. No problem, thanks, guys. Bro. Appreciate it. Y'all take care. Thanks, thanks, bud. Well, thank you again, Shane. We appreciate having him on. Uh, and then we'll look, move ahead to, uh, you know, I think for the uh, this last 
weekend, our, our picks, like we talked about at the opening, I hope if you did listen to us and you placed any wagers that they were small wagers, because after the first week, Josh, I'm sorry to say you're two and five and I was three and four on the picks for week one. So hopefully these, uh, these week four picks are a little bit better. It was a wacky week in the SEC. You know, I, I tend to bet favorites. Of course, I, I always kind of shade shade the size side of Alabama, and uh, that that got me last week. Ole Miss played an awesome game, but uh, there was a lot of games that went the other way. Of course, LSU went the other way. I thought I thought LSU would handle its business, and we're we're gonna you know beat Missouri. But anyways, it was a tough week, and uh, yeah, if anybody put dough on on our picks, man, they struggled as well. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly did. So we we uh, hopefully we'll do better here, so we can. Jump right into this week four in the SEC. We'll start with Auburn at South Carolina. Auburn's favored by three. What do you, what do you got here? Yeah, you know, they're second to last in the offense, uh, on offense in the conference, Auburn is. And I think Bo Nix needs to be just a little more accurate. I like them in this game. I think uh, Auburn's 10-1-1 and in the series against South Carolina uh, in the history of this series. Um you know, South Carolina has been able to do some things offensively. Mike Bobo has, has got him running the football, uh, but that that quarterback and their and their receivers are going to have to do a little bit more than what they're uh, normally uh, have been has been doing. Normally, I think Auburn wins this game. Uh, I like them minus three, even on the road. Yeah, this line is a little bit goofy to me. I I would have expected South Carolina to be dogs by a little bit more, uh, and for that reason, I'm going to go South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I, I think. There's a chance that they win this game or, you know, I could see this being a real close loss late, but I think South Carolina is going to have a chance in this one. So I'll take South Carolina in the points. Uh, let's jump over to Kentucky is on the road at Tennessee. Tennessee's favored by six. Who do you like? I like, uh, I like Tennessee. Um, I like another favorite. I mean, I, I don't think Kentucky throws the ball well enough to stretch the field on Tennessee. Tennessee's got a good defense. Uh, they'll control the game a little bit more than Kentucky will on the defensive side of the ball just because Kentucky can't stretch it. They like to run it. Uh, Tennessee kind of plays right into their hands. I, I like them. Uh, Kentucky did pick off Mississippi State six times last week, so they got a chance in this game. It should be a good one, but I like Tennessee by a touchdown. Yeah, I'm going to take Tennessee as well, and I, I think it's very similar to your answer. Uh, Garantano, uh, aside from the turnovers in the second half, he played pretty well against Georgia and I think this is the type of game that they come back and, and sort of right the ship. And I could see them winning this game by, you know, 10 points, maybe even a couple touchdowns. So I'll take Tennessee in this one. Jump over to Ole Miss. The Rebels are on the road at Arkansas. I think this is going to be a pretty good game. Arkansas is – they're dogs by two and a half. Yeah, I think, you know, two good one and two teams, in my opinion, Um uh, Ole Miss has only turned the ball over one time all year. Run game second in the SEC. They're throwing it for over 380 a game. Uh, you know, don't play much defense. Uh, but Arkansas, they struggle on third down a little bit. They try to grind the clock. Uh, not much of a run game and no deep threats. I, I like Ole Miss in the game. I'll go with another favorite. I think the total 77. So the betters know that this game's going to be a high score and affair. It's going to be a fun one to watch. Yeah, I think you touched on the fact that there, there really hasn't been – Ole Miss has not turned the ball over that much given how how much production they have right now. I think that that changes this week. I'm going to take Arkansas, home dogs in the SEC. And after that performance last week, I'm, I'm a believer that 
Arkansas is going to win some games this season. And I think that line speaks to it. Um, LSU and Florida, we've already talked about. There's a chance this game doesn't happen. We don't know yet who's going to be the quarterback for LSU this week. And I think this line speaks to that. They've got Florida at home favored by 13, which is a, it's a big line. Before this season, I don't think we could have imagined that LSU would be yeah. dogs by almost two touchdowns to anybody. But who, who do you like in this one? Well, I like Florida because of Trask. If Brennan doesn't play at LSU, the quarterback there, he doesn't play. I think they run away with it. If Brennan plays, and it could be a, a little bit tighter of a ball game. But I like kind of a repeat from last year, just going the other way, 42-28 uh, Florida over over LSU. LSU is going to score some points if Brennan plays, but not enough to, to, uh, to stay with Trask in that offense against LSU's defense, especially that secondary being, you know, not playing at a very high level right now. Yeah, with you on on all that, I think we're going to be the same on this one. I'm taking Florida in that one as well. Uh, A&M at Mississippi State. The Bulldogs are are dogs by six and a half, almost a touchdown to uh, to, to A&M. Who do you like? Well, um, Texas A&M's defense struggles, uh, but Mississippi State's offense struggled so bad last week. How could you how can you go with Mississippi State when they didn't put a point on the board and A&M got one of its best wins? Uh, in the last decade. So, I mean, I, I like A&M to handle its business. I think Mississippi State's not doing a really good job even running the ball. they got a great running back in Kylan Hill. They just hadn't been able to be productive with him in this offense. So, I hate to say it, but Mississippi State might struggle again and A&M might, might win this game big. I'm thinking, you know, 35-21 Texas A&M. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Mississippi State has has looked horrible the last two weeks on offense. I mean, what we saw in week one against LSU, the last two weeks hasn't been anything close to that. So until they go out and, and prove they can score again, I, there's no way I can take them. So I'm, I'm going A&M as well, especially coming off that big win last weekend. Last one, again, Vandy and Mizzou has been postponed, so we obviously yeah. won't have a, a prediction this week on that one. But last one, the, uh, the game day is there this week. It's obviously – it is definitely the biggest game on the docket for, for this weekend. Georgia on the road at Alabama. Bama is favored by six. Whew, it's a big game atmosphere, whether there's fans in the stands or not. I mean, these teams want to want to play at a high level when they meet each other, and they've played at a – very high level in the last, I think, the SEC championship game last year, two years ago, a national championship game two years ago. I mean, it's just Kirby hasn't beat Saban. Uh, Saban's 22-0 and versus former assistants. He, he beat up on Kiffin last week. Um, last Georgia win uh, was 13 years ago against Bama. I think Bennett's doing a heck of a job, the two-star walk-on. He hadn't turned the ball over either five touchdowns, but – when you're talking about trying to beat Alabama with Stetson Bennett, I don't see it happening. Uh, Alabama's offense is incredible. They've thrown the ball. They've had 19 passing plays of 20-plus yards, most in the nation in the first three weeks. Receivers out the wazoo. Mac Jones playing a real high level. Unless Bama's defense just plays absolutely horrendous, I got Bama in this game because they just score almost every possession. They do. They look fantastic. I hate this line because – like you said, I mean, I could see Bama winning this by two scores. Um, I think this is going to be the first time Mac Jones has really been tested, and I think Kirby Smart in this defense is going to turn the heat up on him. I think this comes down to a field goal. I'm, I'm going to take Georgia, but there's a chance. If this turns into a shootout, Alabama's going to win this game, and I think they're going to win by two scores. If mm -hmm. Georgia – I'm betting here that Georgia figures out a way – 
to force a turnover or two against this Mac Jones offense and slows them down just enough. I still think Bama wins the game, but this Georgia team is the only one that I would say really right now has, has proven that they've got a chance to slow down this Alabama attack. So I'm going Georgia in this one. Well, guys, again, we appreciate you tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the, uh, the interview with Shane Matthews and, Again, if you take any of this advice and, and bet on it, please don't send us the hate mail. Um, but we appreciate everybody tuning in. Hopefully, I think this is going to be another fun weekend of college football. This, this nightcap with Georgia and Alabama is going to be a fantastic game. And again, guys, you can follow us on, on Twitter. Josh is at JoshBooty10, and I'm at TMcard 16 And this will be available on all the normal platforms, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more. And uh, again, we appreciate you tuning in and we will visit with you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.